Open up in your Bible to 1 Corinthians. We'll be in chapter 4 today. Um, I am genuinely uh, really excited to be here. I just flew in on Friday night, and I'm flying back today. So in, this was a lot of the main purpose for me being here was just to be with, with Anthem Thousand Oaks. Um, my time here has been so formative. Uh, Really, I cut my teeth in doing ministry in this church and um, just really thankful for this community. And, and we're in Denver now. We've been there since July. Uh, it's 2018, so it's like eight months. Is that, am I good at math? I don't know. Uh, and it's been, it's been awesome. I mean, it's, it's been hard emotionally. It's been kind of some ups and downs. But man, we, we feel like God is with us. And um, it, it, we, it, it's, it's good. We're, we're meeting new people and um, very excited. I want to invite you, before we get into 1 Corinthians today, put up the, the slide here, um, to the Denver Prayer Tour. So I would love for you to consider joining us July 25th through 27th. What we're going to do is we're going to have, we're going to start on a Thursday night. We'll do a big worship uh, and kind of a teaching, we'll, and then we'll pray together all in a room. We'll call out to God for, for him to change and redeem and heal the city of Denver, um, which it needs desperately. And then on Friday, we'll actually kind of split up into groups and pray in different neighborhoods and uh, just pray that God would show up and, and change a city. And so I, I think, even if you don't really know Denver or care about Denver, I really even think it would I think it would be a really cool experience just to call out for God to change a place. And then we're going to be teaching on prayer and then bring that kind of spirit, attitude, and approach to even a place like Thousand Oaks, which really needs God to, uh, to show up in as well. So love to have you at this. Uh, you could make it the front part of a vacation or the back part of a vacation. It's probably the best city uh, that there is. So... <laughs> That's an overstatement. There's maybe better cities, but I, I like it a lot. Um, all right, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Oh, on, one more note. Uh, DenverPrayerTour.com. Would love if you registered just so we know who's coming. It would be really helpful uh, for us. We're planning a little bit of food and printed materials and stuff. And, and we're small and don't really know what we're doing, so we need at least six months to print a piece of paper. So... <laughs> Uh, there you go. I'll be done. First uh, Corinthians chapter four. Um, Christians are meant to be different, aren't we? Like I don't. I don't mean purposefully weird. I have Christian friends like that, and man, it's just like what? What are they doing? <laughs> Not purposefully weird, not like Angela from the office who's just like judging everybody, not like distanced from everything, uh, that kind of thing. But we, we are called to be distinct, like unique. The, the Bible phrase is set apart, like God sets apart this people to look like him, to reflect his ways into the world, we are meant to be a different kind of people. That's the charge. That's our call. And it never really works, I think, when we try to just blend in. No matter how hard we try to not be different, no matter how hard we try to fit in and look like everyone else, no matter how hard we try to be cool and Christian at the same time, 
it just doesn't quite work. Uh, we're, we're a different tribe of people in the world. Again, I don't mean to be weird. I'm going to just kind of overstress that here. Not condemning, um, but, but different. This is really clear in the letter of, of 1 Corinthians. I think I, I see it on every chapter, every page, every verse. Paul is crying out for the church to just see themselves as a different crew of people. You don't just do what, what the world does. You don't just assume their posture, assume their ways. I actually think some of our attempts to be cool and Christian at the same time can be kind of funny. Um, when I was a kid, I, I remember we didn't do Halloween parties, but we did do hallelujah parties. Anybody go to one of those? Crazy party. <laughs> It's like we really tricked people with the first half of the word. Like, hey, neighbor, we are doing this thing in October. It's candy, costumes involving the color orange. It's a hallelujah party. And, <laughs> like, no. Uh, I also remember uh, going to a church. It was probably like, I mean, to be fair, probably. 12 to 15 years ago. I remember going to this church and I was definitely struggling like with my faith and whether I believed in Jesus or God or any of that at this time. And I remember I went to this church and they were doing a new edgy sermon series. It had this graphic that was pink and lacy and it was a sermon series on marriage and sex. Already pretty dang edgy. <laughs> and the title of the sermon series was The Victorious Secret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, guys? Christians are really cool, guys. Come on. <laughs> it's like, oh, my goodness. It just hurts me to even, like, tell you that story. Like, what are we doing? This, this, is, not, this is not what we're here for. And I don't mean to pick on that poor church. I don't even remember the name of uh, that church. Um, but even moments where Christians actually pull off being really cool, and I think, you know, I mean, there's very cool people uh, who are Christian. I, I, even when they pull it off, it's just not the point. Like, uh, the point of following Jesus isn't to just look like everyone else or impress people with, with our prestige or with our cultural relevance. I, I just sense so much that the modern American church is desperate. We're like a kid in junior high that just really wants to be popular. And why do we care? Like that is just not the call. Apostle Paul here is, is, is arguing for something so dang different. And so I, I just, I hear the cry of the Apostle Paul within Corinthians saying, the way of the world needs to be untangled from the way of Jesus. Just over and over. We need to untangle the way that everybody else assumes that we should do life away from the way of Jesus. They just, they look different, they are different altogether. To untangle the way everyone assumes that we should think about our sexuality. To untangle the, the American ways, if I may even say so. Just, just because it's American does not make it the way of Jesus automatically. Not to pick on America, I think we do that too much lately, but, but nonetheless, it's, just, it's not just automatically the same thing as Jesus. The, the way that we view our money, 
untangle it. Paul is just begging. Untangle that from the way the world sees money. The way that, that people assume you should get power or prestige or, or like a name for yourself, that has to be untangled and mostly thrown away. <laughs> like that's nothing to do with, with the call of Christ. And so here in chapter four, this kind of message continues. We're called to be different. Paul is saying, I want you to regard things differently. I want you to consider the world through a different lens altogether. And so let's start. First Corinthians, starting in verse one, we're reading the whole chapter. Paul writes, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself. But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why, did you, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Fantastic question. Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us, apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. As I teach them every, everywhere in every church, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. 
God, we pray that uh, your power would move us this morning. Spirit, we ask you just to, to illuminate our minds. God, teach us from this scripture today. God, I pray that we would have a boldness to trust in your power and not in eloquent words coming from us. That we would just trust a God who can do fantastic and incredible things. God, we look to you, we trust you. Lord, I pray that we would become more and more okay with being different. And more than just okay, that we would, we would celebrate being able to be a part of a beautiful and unique tribe of people. We are your people, God. What a privilege it is to be your son or your daughter. Yeah, God, speak, speak to us this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. So Paul, he uses himself and Apollos as examples for how we should view our own lives. He has this, this verse that I'm, I'm thinking as being kind of the foundation, the key, as how I'm going to think through this whole chapter. And so verse 6, Paul says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, that you may learn by us. And I'll just stop there. He says, I've, I've applied these examples. I'm going to tell you things about us and our apostleship, our leadership. And as I tell you these things, I'm telling it to you for your benefit so that you can learn by us. Later, uh, down in verse 16, he says, I urge you then be imitators of, of me. And so I tell us that right here at the beginning because for me personally, if I'm like at a, at a sermon or a message and, and it opens up and it's like, this is all about marriage and I'm not married to me, I, I tune out. Uh, or if it's all about singleness. It's like, I'm currently married, why would I listen? And I, this isn't just... This just isn't that passage. This isn't that chapter. Paul is using himself, and he's talking about what sounds like leadership, and it is. It's definitely directed at Christian leaders, but it's for sure him using himself as an example so that people can know how to live the Christian life. Just like really basic Christian foundation stuff in this, uh, this chapter. And so today there are three main ways where Paul, I, I see Paul calling us to see ourselves different. Like three ways where Paul is saying we're set apart, we're unique, we're different in these ways. And so number one, we are not meant to be kings, but we're meant to be servants. We're not kings, we're servants. My mother-in-law, she, she says this thing every time we go to their house and we have dinner, uh, after dinner, she'll, you know, there'll be a mess, and it, just like any dinner, there's mess and dishes, and, and she, she always says, uh, who wants to be great in the kingdom? <laughs> <laughs> and we know what she's doing. <laughs> and for me, I, I, I just do become a heretic in that moment. I'm like, I don't, at this point, I don't care about the kingdom. <laughs> I'm out of here. Uh, I'm kidding. I, I, I try to help. But uh, it's amazing how we want to follow Jesus into greatness. 
We want to follow Jesus into great things, into prestige, into power. That sounds awesome. But, but we are so often really pretty unwilling to, to follow Jesus to the cross. We're meant to be servants. This, this is the call of the Christian life. Just even think about the phrase, follow Jesus. I mean, the, the phrase of following Jesus is there because that's what the disciples did. They were like following him and his, you imagine the dust of his sandals kicking up on the disciples as they literally go behind him. Think about the last days of Jesus, how the tension would have been rising. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he, he's so distraught that he has blood uh, coming out of his uh, tear ducts. It's obviously headed towards something pretty terrifying. It's heading towards death. Like this, that's the path of, of following Jesus, for the, the disciples especially. I mean, if you follow church history, most of the original disciples, the apostles, most of them ended their life by being murdered in some kind of way. G Peter was hung upside down on a cross. This is what church history tells us. The path was not a path towards fame, a path towards power or prestige. And, and the, the disciples probably would have thought that it might have resulted in that, which is, is very interesting. Like it seemed like, oh, Jesus might be setting up an actual kingdom at this point, and then I'm, I'm gonna get to have a, a sweet kingdom mansion, I'm gonna have this whole wing. You have to, the disciples were imagining that that was gonna be the case, but it was not, and he makes it clear towards the end. This is, that's, this is not the way. The way is the cross. I have to set my face towards it. That's what this is all about. And the thing that's, that's interesting is we live in a day where there's just so much teaching out there that, that, that saying the path to Jesus is actually a path towards wealth and prestige. The kind of classic category for this kind of teaching sometimes is known as the prosperity gospel or like the health and wealth uh, gospel. If you believe in Jesus, you'll be wealthy and you'll, you'll never have health problems. And the thing about the, the very blatant prosperity gospel to me is I just, I don't think most people, especially that show up at like Anthem Church, I don't think most of us are struggling to believe or, or get tricked into the prosperity gospel. Like when I turn on the TV and I see a dude in a gold chair and he's wearing a gold suit, it's, it's not tricking me. It's not working. It's like this is a, oh, is this a joke? It's not dangerous. I think for many of, us, many of us, I think it's horrendous, but a lot of us here, I think the more dangerous kind of teaching are the, the subtle ways in which we, we start to believe a little bit of health and wealth. It's more like, I, I hear this all the time with newer believers, and, and they're, they're sharing a testimony, and, and the testimony will accidentally, I know they don't mean for it to be like this, but the, the, the accidental testimony can sometimes be like, I used to be a bad person, then, and, and they don't even talk about Jesus, they're like, I used to be a bad person, I came to this church, and that's like what sounds like salvation. And then now, I actually met this really super hot girl. Salvation. <laughs> like, meaning, following Jesus, or like becoming a Christian, 
made my life nice. Like, we accidentally fall into forms of thinking this all the time. I, I started following God and I got this, this great job. I started following God and, and I, st- I started um, just, man, I, just, I started making more money. And that's, this, is, this is just not what the God, becoming a Christian and it'll make you influential in the world and respected. No. Paul says, starting in verse nine, God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. And a little bit of explanation for this next part. It's interesting to me, all the commentators say that there's heavy sarcasm here, which isn't super usual within uh, scripture in general. But he, he says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but, but you are wise in Christ? We are weak. But, oh, but you're strong? You are held in honor? You could read it like that, that, with that tone. But we in disrepute? To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Such intense language. The refuse, like the trash of the world. I mean, it's so intense. And I I love, Paul is such a father to this church. I love how intense it is, and and it it makes me feel a little bit good about myself. I'm a guy that I really have to give too much context before I get to the point when I'm telling stories, you probably even noticed it in my preaching. Can you get to the point, Josh? <laughs> I love it with Paul, though. He's just like, he, he's really heavy-handed, and then, he, and then the very next verse, uh, 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but, but to admonish you as my beloved children. I love that. Like, he did slap them around a little bit, but then he says, I, I'm telling you because I, I love you. The Corinthians, they, they were talking about this newfound gospel idea, thinking that it was making them something like a king. More sarcasm. Let's look at verse 8. This is heavily sarcastic language, and, you, and it actually doesn't make sense unless you read it this way. Paul says, already you have all you want. The Corinthians were actually, they were poor. Most of this church was poor. And so he's, he's kind of like, Already you have all you want? Really? Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. This one's funny to me. He's, he's saying like, oh, you're a king, huh? Well, where's your castle? I'd love to stay in it. Like, hook an apostle up? You know, like... <laughs> They were, they were, the Corinthian people, um, the way that their, the Greek Hellenistic culture would have worked in this, in this town in particular would have been, there would have been a ton of different people that would stand in the public square and, and they, would, they would do discourse and rhetoric and, and big public speaking and it was all about eloquence and it was all about sounding really intellectual and bringing in the newest edgy ideas. And so 
there's a part of this Corinthian church who's getting excited, like, oh, wow, the gospel, we can use this as, as some new, cool, edgy teaching. We're going to become rich. We're going to be like kings. <laughs> They're getting pumped as if being Christ followers meant that they were now going to be moving up the social ladder of society because of their new gospel identity. But Paul reminds us that gospel identity means identifying with the cross of Christ. We are servants, not wealthy, powerful kings. And if, and if someone does have money, like the point is not for them to, to lord it over everyone else and, and to show it off and, and to, to be dominating society. That's, that's never the point. Like if any of us ever happens to get money. It's not saying we need to be poor, but it's about following Jesus to, on the path to the cross. The cross says that we, just like Jesus, are here to be servants, not to be served. We are here to sacrifice our time, our money, our energy for other people. We're not kings where, where people come to us and bend a knee. We bend a knee and we serve others. I love verse one. Paul says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. I just, I love, I visualize like a, a waiter at an incredibly nice restaurant and, 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 and we're serving up the world's most beautiful thing that's ever been given. And, and, and we aren't the ones sitting down and enjoying this meal. We're, we're servants, and we, we're stewards of this beauty, of the mysteries of God. And we didn't make the meal. Like, we get no credit, no social status situation here. We're not kings. We're meant to be servants. We're meant to, to uh, sacrifice for the sake of, of others. I have a friend in, in, in Denver who a little bit of, of my, my testimony is that uh, t many years ago, I, I was super rebellious. I, uh, I partied a lot and, and uh, just kind of lived within that kind of stereotype uh, lifestyle. And I had this friend named Dan in Denver, and we would kind of, we would hang together, and, and uh, Dan and I would kind of, we were doing the same thing. And so, recently, since I've moved to Denver in July, Dan and I have struck up a new relationship, and it's, it's been cool because Dan has started to come and en engage with some of the stuff our church is doing, um, but I really get the sense that he shows up to a lot of stuff because I, I don't think he has a, a ton of, of friends. I think he's fairly lonely. Um, but um, Dan, I'll just say, his, and this, this has made me feel awkward today talking about this because it's going on the recording. I'm just like praying he'll never listen to this. Um, <laughs> really bad plan. It's his actual name. I should be using like one of those fake names that preachers do. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, Fabio, hanging out with Fabio. And I don't know why would I choose that name. Um, so Dan... He's been a bad friend. Um, I, not over-exaggerating here, I think it's been four different occasions where he said he was gonna meet me somewhere and just literally did not show up. I'm there, like, it's like the awkward date moment, like I'm waiting for my dude to show up and 
Like, he, he never even shows, sorry, man, I'm, I'm at home, and I, f- I fell asleep. And, and, he, and I could tell you more, but just in, in general, he's, just, he's being a bad friend to me, and it's been making me really frustrated, and, and I've wanted to, like, confront him even, and Dan doesn't, I don't, he's not, doesn't really know Jesus, he's not walking with Jesus, and I'm talking to my wife about this, and we're just realizing, I gotta take it. Like, uh, this, this is part of, this is such a ridiculously silly, low-level story for me to talk about, like, uh, th- me following Jesus and, and the way of the cross, but this, this is what all I've got right now, so. Um, but I do see, just as I consider the way of the cross in light of my relationships, it's like, I, who, who am I to go tell Dan, like, man, what the heck, dude? Like, no, I, I, I need to serve him. I must, I'm, we are servants to the world. We're, we're not to, to dominate and to, to yell it at people or to tell people, you know what, you don't have a clue. Let me tell you the gospel. No, we, we humbly, we serve it up. We're stewards. We're servants. We're not kings. Dan has not been a great friend to me. He's legitimately hurt my feelings, but Paul, the Apostle Paul says, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. That's, how hard is that? Like it's, that's so un-American. I don't mean to pick on America, but it's, it's just very different than the way we usually approach things. Can you imagine Twitter battles with when reviled, we bless, like, <laughs> just, that's, not, that's not how the, the Twitter world works at all, not, what, what, not whatsoever. Um, we're servants, we're stewards of the mysteries of God, not kings, but we're servants. Number two, how we're being called to be different. We don't need 10,000 guides, but we need mothers and fathers. There has never been a more opinionated time, I think, in history. We've never had more opinions in teachers and and, uh, self-help gurus and talking heads, I think, than right now. Would anyone agree with that? So much talk, like an intense amount. You You could fill up your ears with endless talk from now till forever, like podcasts, and some of this stuff is great, but man, it's so much. I've been getting labeled lately as a foodie, which I, I don't mind the term. It sounds cool. It sounds like you're culturally with it, but really all it means is that I spend way too much time on the internet uh, reading reviews of places to eat food, and that's a kind of a waste of time. Um, but what I've noticed is we, we live in such a crazy culture of critique right now. We critique everything. There's a way to review everything. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. People I, on Yelp review Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> like, do we, does anyone need a, a review of Wendy's to know what they're getting into? <laughs> I would argue no. I had someone tell me in earlier service that they did an, a review on Wendy's. And <laughs> That was the main conviction takeaway they had from that sermon. Uh, Man, I just got to repent. 
And then I'm even like nervous to mention, but, but I have to, just the political environment we currently live in, just how intense it is, and not to make any political comment whatsoever, but just Fox News and CNN all day long, just going at it, talk, 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 talk. And I am, I'm drawn in. Like there's a gravitational pull to these things. It's, it is like ear candy. I'm drawn in and I, and I just, and it elicits emotion from me. Have you ever found yourself watching news and you were fine before? <laughs> but next thing you know, like you're, you're angry. You know, and, like, and, it, and it does that to us and we are sitting at the feet of opinions and talking heads who don't care about you. Like I, that's, that's, this is a lot of what Paul is getting at here. Like these, there's so many voices, there's so much messaging in the world right now grabbing for your attention and, and I don't mean to be incredibly rude to all of those voices, but I, I do also. None of them care about you at all. Just like the Corinthian culture where, where they would stand and they, and they, would, they would orate. Their, their aim was money. Their aim was to, to build up a following. That's a modern word. Like that's what Twitter and Instagram and all of this is all about. They were building a following. They wanted a cult. They wanted a culture for, for themselves so they could be like kings, so they could, be, they could have some prestige in their culture. They wanted to build up a name. They were trying to be their own self-branding. That sounds so familiar to me <laughs> to today. It's like they, did, they didn't care about the people they were teaching to. They were trying to, to take something from them. And so Paul says, you have countless guides in Christ. You do not have many fathers. The word translated countless here, it means 10,000, which is funny, in Greek, 10,000 is the highest number. They're just like, well, I guess we shouldn't have more numbers. But this, so you have 10,000 guides is what it could read as. And the word guide here, I think, is, is funny. Also, in, in Greek culture, parents would hire slaves uh, to watch their kids. And so they were like hired babysitters. And so Paul here is definitely slamming these teachers in Corinth. He's saying, you already have 10,000 babysitters who don't care about you. I mean, it was, it was a, a lot of commentators say about these, these guides, these kind of like slave babysitters, they were really bad. Like there was a lot of writing saying, my, my guide lost all my children. <laughs> it's a bad babysitter. <laughs> you, you already have 10,000 bad babysitters who don't care about you and they might lose you. Your teachers are, are, are nothing. You have 10,000 podcasts. You have 10,000 news sources who do not want to do anything except take something from you. And you need a father. You need a father or mother. I think, I think we need desperately to see our pastors and our leaders in a, in a different way than we usually tend to. They are not something to yelp. Right? <laughs> They're not something to yell from you. 
I feel like even ridiculous, like saying something like that. Like, but we do, we, I, and you know what? It, it is, it's absolutely our culture that teaches us to think this way, but we walk in critiquing everywhere we go. And I am so ridiculously guilty of this, but it's like, oh yeah, you know, I kind of liked the way they, they did this, and man, that song, I liked it, but you know, in the third verse, they use this word, I think it's kind of not theological, and <laughs> it's like, thank you. <laughs> um, but it, we have to stop seeing pastors and leaders in the same light. Like honestly, review restaurants to your heart's desire. Like that, that's, that's fine. But, but the pastor has to be a different, a leader, a Christian person has to be seen differently. Eugene Peter, Peterson, uh, in his book, The Pastor, says this. He says, the vocation of pastor has been replaced by the strategies of religious entrepreneurs with business plans. Oh, God, help us from that. He says later in his, his book, The Pastor, he says, there is no way that I can preach the gospel to these people if I don't know how they are living, what they are thinking, or what they're talking about. Preaching is proclamation. It's God's word revealed in Jesus, but only when it gets embedded in a conversation. Only when it's in a listening ear and then a responding, uh, in a responding tongue does it then become gospel. Eugene Peterson is saying the preacher, the moment of proclaiming the gospel needs a relationship. And a pastor is, is meant to be like a father who does know you, who does care for you. The teaching is not just to, to take something from you. My prayer is that that would be like my heart as I step up here. This is, needs to be an altogether different thing than, than everything else that we see in the world where people stand up and they want to get you to do something, give, get you to give money. The pastor, the leader, is meant to be like a father or a mother. I will never forget the day that I, I wept on the, on the floor of my friend John's office. I knew that John lived a life where he was going after Jesus. He had a character that I could see. I saw him interact with his family. And so when, when John would preach, and he, he was a preacher, uh, it was very different to me because it was like a father teaching. It wasn't just uh, something for me to take in and critique and analyze, whether it was, oh yeah, I thought it was cool. It, it was like a father speaking things over, over my life, and it had an altogether different, different meaning. And so, question, do you at least know someone who knows someone who knows the character of, of your pastor? We allow many voices to speak into our life that we should not. The primary people speaking into your life should know you. They should know your strengths, your weaknesses, um, your struggles, and <clears throat> your, your TED Talk teacher doesn't know you. Um, even pastors that we listen to on podcasts, like I, I love this pastor in, in New York, he doesn't know me. Like I, I have to consider that, and I, and I don't, and I don't, tell my local pastor, hey, no, no, my podcast preacher, 
he told me what to do, and so I'm going to reject your wisdom. Like, I, I don't do that because the guy in New York doesn't know me. We have 10,000 babysitters, but we need fathers and, and mothers. And so I'll just say this here this morning, uh, today. It is not enough at all for, for us to hope that, that Matt Larson, Ryan Hinkle, uh, Tom, and Brian, and, and, and Ellery, and who am I forgetting? Ahmad. Ahmad, okay. It's a test uh, that I just failed. It is not enough for these people to be the only spiritual fathers and then the few spiritual mothers that we have in the community. The, the numbers are just not going to work out. We don't, have, we don't have enough. Ahmad, you're sitting right there. I feel pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were not. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Corinth had 10,000 babysitters, but, but they needed 10,000 fathers and mothers. This church needs the same thing. And so, so my question for us today is, is, is one of two things. You, which of you needs to seek out a spiritual father or mother for your life? I think some of us, that's, that's our story. That was my story. I needed help. I would be a mess if I did not have the people in my life that helped to raise me outside of my own parents who were wonderful. But I needed spiritual mothers and, and, and fathers to, to help me and to know me and to walk with me. Do you have someone who knows you? And then there's some of the rest of us in this room that I think you, the question is, do you need to start owning that you should be a spiritual father or mother for someone. Like, there, there's a desperation, I, I would say, even in this city. I'm in Denver, and I've, I've watched the news, and I, I don't think it took a tra tragedy. It, it, we didn't need a tragedy to know that this, this city needed spiritual help, but man, is it, <laughs> I feel like it's never been more evident. Guaranteed, there's, there's people in your neighborhood, there's people in your work, uh, space. There's people at your school that need a, a spiritual father or mother. And, and I'll tell you, I think a lot of you probably will discount yourself and think that that's not you. And, and it could very well be a lot of you. You just need the gospel. You need the grace of Jesus. It doesn't, it doesn't take someone with a degree to, to begin fathering or, or mothering or leading others and, and helping them to be led towards, uh, towards Jesus. And what's cool is I actually do know a number of you in this room, and, and I can envision that, like, as I think about it. Like, I can envision this kind of thing for some of you. It's not an age thing. Like, uh, <clears throat> and I'll say this. Um, I don't have a ton of time, but the family system is so broken. Um, we, we have people that have desperate need, and, and you know that. And um, we have people that, that need you to show up in their life. This is a different kind of way. We're called to something altogether different. This is not how other people are, are deciding to show up in the world thinking, I should be a spiritual mother or father. That's weird language a little bit. But we're called to something different altogether, unique. Thirdly, um, we'll be very quick here. We are not just empty talkers, but we bring the power of God. Paul says in verse 20, the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. 
This is countercultural. I love to talk. I mean, I just talked way past when I was supposed to. I'm looking at the clock. I, I, I love to hear my own voice. Like, I, I just, I love talking. And I, and I can just talk, and then I convince myself that if people just listen to me, they're, they're going to just love it. And, and, and my non-believing friends, if they just hear me talk, they'll just get convinced of, of the ways of Jesus, and they'll fall to their knees and repent. And this is s- stupid thinking on my part. Like, really, really stupid. I don't know why you guys are laughing. <laughs> the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. My wife and I, we are learning that we believe the, the lie that if we just make non-believing friends and spend time with them, that that alone will convert them. The kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. I'll just share, I have a dream dream to see our city one to Jesus. I, I, I dream about like liberal, progressive, urban, secular, atheist, super sinful people coming to Jesus. I dream about people abandoning their idols throwing them to the ground and then, and then crushing them and saying, you know what, these idols that, that I love and I worship, I see that Jesus is more beautiful. I, I dream of that. But the reality is, I'm, like we're, we've become really good in our, our little church so far. I shouldn't say really good. We've, we've become decent at making friends with, with non-believers, people who are, like, fit the category of what I just said. And and we're realizing like people aren't just abandoning their idols, like the idols of, of craft beer and, and weed and snowboarding and the idol of, of brunch instead of Sunday morning church. Like they're not just casting those things because they got to know me. I'm not that great. Like I'm, I'm not that compelling to, to where it's gonna make someone go, I'm gonna ditch everything that I know, the thing that I worship most, and decide to follow your God instead because you talked at me. And so like, I'm, I'm saying all of this like, because we're, we're just realizing that we're desperate. The only thing that we can rely upon is the power of God. I love Paul's short, short form gospel in Romans. He says the, the gospel is, is God's power to save. Like that's, that's the gospel. The gospel, the good news is that God can save. We can't do anything. Like I can't convince someone through, through eloquent, eloquent speech to follow Jesus, to abandon the things they, they've loved so long. We, we need prayer. We need a move of the Spirit. We have to depend on God to do these things in our, in our world, in our time, in this city. And so I just, I'll just end with friend, my, my friend Dan, um, who I mentioned earlier. Dan has been coming to some of the things that we've been doing with our little church. And um, like, I, like I said, it's been, it's been interesting. Like in general, we have a little church crew and we are, we're working to invite people who are different than us and, and some of them not believers, and people like say swear words because they're just being themselves, and or or tell stories about the way they live their lives, and we're, we're having to like learn not to wince and be like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? Um, 
because <laughs> that's self-righteous and um, stupid. Um, but so Dan, I just, I can't, I've not been able to believe it, but I just, again, I think he wants relationship and community. He's shown up into our little house. We've been doing some Sunday night gathering things, and mostly it's been like discussion, um, and then a meal, and we kind of pray. And, but um, a couple of nights ago, we decided to, to start going through the book of Galatians, and I decided we, I would preach. And so this very first, the first week of that, Dan showed up, and my message was really just very, very simple. It was not this long at all. Um, it was just a very simple, here's what the gospel is, uh, kind of message. And to be totally honest, I, am, I felt really bad about the message. I felt like I didn't do a good job, and um, I was feeling kind of down on it. And as soon as I, I wrapped up, Dan said, hey, can, can you talk to me? And uh, he, he just, he said, he said, Josh, just the stuff you were saying, it just, it had my mind racing. I just, I had all, I, it was just making me think all of these things. And uh, any, anyway, man, uh, I, I gotta go. <laughs> and it just took off. And it, it was, it was tough, because I, I was like, oh my gosh, like, it, it sounds like God's doing something with this guy, uh, who I, who's been my friend for a really long time. And, and I, but I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to, it, and I tried to engage him the next week, and he immediately, like, changed the conversation, and it, we're talking about bands we like, and beer, and that kind of, like, meaningless stuff, and I'm just like, no, I, I want to talk to you, man, like, and we're gonna, I, I will say, we're gonna need to eventually work through talking about the gospel. That's, Paul's not saying that the gospel doesn't need words. He'll say elsewhere in the scriptures that words are absolutely needed, but no one's gonna be converted. No one's going to be won over to God, to God's heart by our eloquent words. It is only through the power of God, only by the Holy Spirit. And what's, what's been disappointing to me about this thing with, with Dan is I know that, I, I see that he's so close, and I think God is going to rescue him, and it's so disappointing to me because I think I'm gonna get zero credit. Well, like, I'm being, I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's, I'm being, being sincere. Like, there's part of me that's like, I want that moment, you know? Like, like yeah, Dan, that was pretty cool what I said, right? Like, you were into it, and, and then the Spirit descended on you. Like, no, no. The only way we're gonna see this city changed, this culture, this generation changes by the power of God. And so we pray. I know that Anthem Thousand Oaks has been leaning into a season of prayer, and so come on, let's lean. Let's lean into that. Um, let's, all, let's all stand together. And let's pray. God, we call on you to move. We trust and we depend on you and you alone. We are just mere humans. We are, we are just weak and simple. We need you, Jesus. We need your spirit. God, thank you for the way you, you partner with us to see people um, brought to into a loving relationship with you, God. 
Lord, thank you for using us, but we know that you do. You do the real work. You are the Lord of the harvest. And so we pray to the Lord of the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. Workers are few. All right, we pray in your name. Amen.